0: Well hey everyone, I'm so excited to be joining with you today in our virtual church. I'm here in my Halifax studio, which is my buddy's basement. And so uh, hey, this is how we're doing church now. Um, But hey, isn't it amazing that God can still use technology uh, to get His message out, His message of love and His message of hope. And uh, that's what I'm hoping to do today, to encourage you with more and more hope. Um, I want to jump into the Word here in just a moment, but before we do, I think it would be really appropriate if we would just take a moment and show honor where honor is due uh, in this season. And I just want to take a moment and honor all of the 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 folks, um, even in King's Church, maybe other churches. Those of you who are watching online right now, those guys, the tech teams, the video uh, the video teams who are producing these services to to, to bring this experience to you into your homes. Uh, I know they are busy on good in good seasons. Uh, this they are going above and beyond and so would you join me uh, maybe just in the comment section right now just a virtual round of applause and to just show honor to our team for bringing this into your house today i think it's incredible and i'll be honest with you i'm not part of that team Um, i would not be the person you want to be trying to figure out how to get this service into your home i can hardly open zoom and so but we're just so grateful for our team and for the guys that are putting so many hours and time and effort into making this a reality and this a possibility during this season. I do want to open up with you to uh, Revelation chapter 4. We are in the book of Revelation and uh, if you're just joining us, that's where we've been parked as a church really since January and uh, we are now entering into a very significant portion of the book of Revelation and if you were with us last week, Pastor Brent uh, just gave us an encouraging word about hope and about viral hope, that we are carriers of hope. I was just thinking about that word this past week, and it really encouraged me and reminded me that even in this season uh, of isolation and quarantine, that we as a church are still on a mission. Like, let's not lose sight of that church. We are on a mission as a church still. Even though the television is telling us to stay, Jesus has told us to go. Now, I'm not saying that we go out and break a bunch of laws and get fined like we do here in Nova Scotia—a thousand dollars per person if you get caught—not social distancing. Um, but I am saying that there are new ways and new forms that we can go in our day, even today. We can go virtually. We can go wirelessly. And so let's not lose sleep on the fact that God has called us to be on mission as a church in this season. Now. I want to pick up on our text real quick because there's a lot of ground that we need to cover today, but Revelation chapter 4, what I want you to do, if you could take a moment and just go ahead and find a Bible, Uh, we're going to open this and we're going to read this here in just a moment. Um, If you don't have a Bible, well, I can't promise anything, uh, but maybe we can work on getting drones to drop them on your doorstep. How cool would that be, right? Um, But get your mobile device, get your screen, open it up, and let's dive into Revelation chapter 4. And as you take a moment to, to find the text, um, just something that you need to be, uh, to know as we, as we dive into this, we've been tracking through Revelation, and we've been a lot of places, and we've heard a lot of things. We've been to places like Ephesus. We've been to places like Pergamum, and Laodicea, and Sardis, and Philadelphia. All of these places are very significant. All of these places are churches, and we've heard a lot of things. Jesus has said a lot of things to these churches Um, He's said things that are truthful and transformational, and and, and it's been really, really good for us. But as we dive into Revelation chapter 4, we move from being on earth and in the church now into heaven. And not only that, we're going to move from uh, using our ears to listen to using our eyes to see. And that's what we're going to do here today in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 As we dive into this text, one of the things you need to know about these two chapters, Revelation 4 and 5, is that these are some of the most glorious chapters in the entire Bible. And John is giving us a glimpse into glory and into heaven. But one thing that I want you to be certain of is that this isn't just a vision of what is to come in the future, but this is actually a picture of a present day reality. See, heaven isn't just a someday reality. Uh, We can really, really Uh, learn and see um, what God is wanting to do right now in Revelation chapter 4 on earth today in our own homes. And so I want to read the text together, and we've been doing this all through uh, our series of just taking time together to read this text out loud. And we are going to read this together, but we're going to do it a little bit different today, all right? So bear with me. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and instead of reading with your mouths... I want you to read with your minds. So th- let's, let's not say it. Let's imagine it. All right. Can we do that? Can we try that? And if there's kids in the room, uh, hey, go g- grab a, a blank piece of paper and your crayons. And uh, I'm going to read some really cool stuff. And why don't you take a moment and just draw what you hear? Uh, we're going to use our imaginations today. And so I want to read the text. So close your eyes right now. And let's, I'm just going to read this out loud. And you just picture what John has seen in heaven. All right. Let's try this out. This is this. This is, and instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty four thrones surrounded him, and twenty four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. And in front of the thrones was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Did you see it? Some of you are probably shaking your heads and saying, what on earth is going on? Um, Actually, probably uh, a better way of saying it is, what in heaven is going on, right? I mean, what is up with emeralds and gemstones and, and lightning and thunder and, and all of this? It kind of sounds like a nerdy board game that some of us have been playing these last couple of days. And I'm not judging, by the way, I love nerdy board games. But what in the world is going on here? I think it's really hard for us to understand what John is trying to communicate here. But let's just take a moment and put ourselves in John's shoes. And let's pretend for the fact that it's equally hard to try to communicate what he's trying to see. I mean, what in the world is going on? How do we make sense of this text? Now, something interesting about the Bible you need to know before we start into this text today, it's this. Not everything God communicates to us is with words. Sometimes it's with symbols. Sometimes it's with pictures or visions. So wh- why, would, why would God do that? Why would God give us a bunch of different symbols and pictures in the word and, and try to help, you know, try to make us decipher what all this means? well, a couple of reasons. Number one, symbols are powerful. Symbols are powerful. And all these symbols that we're reading today and that we're going to look at today, these gemstones and these rainbows and this fire and this thunder and this lightning, all of them can be found in other parts of the Bible. And each of these symbols... Uh, They mean something. They carry weight to it. They're incredibly important. Numbers are the same way in the Bible. You often hear in in, in the book of Revelation, countless times, the number seven is referred to. Well, number seven isn't just a numerical value. It actually has weight. It means completeness. And the same is true in our culture, in our day. There are symbols that we have in our own world that they mean something. They just carry weight. Let's, Let's actually pretend for a moment. i got a couple symbols with me. I want to show you this. Let me hold this up. Tell me what this invokes in you. Ready? What do you see? Yeah. It's, it's Apple, right? It's Apple computers. One of the best systems and processing s- systems that we have. Here's another symbol. Let me show you this one. Do you see it? It's a heart. Well, what does that mean? It means love. It means so many things to us. By the way, this is a picture that my daughter drew for everybody today. And I asked her, I said, Daddy's going to be preaching, and I'm going to be talking about some symbols. Would you, would you go ahead and draw out your favorite symbol for everybody? And she decided to draw a heart, and then she added this. She said, uh, and she, she wrote, Jesus loves me. Hey, listen, if you don't hear my message today, listen to my four-year-old's message. This is some preaching right here. Jesus loves me me, right? But the heart, it's a symbol, and symbols are powerful. But the second thing is this, uh, symbols expand beyond the breaking point of our language. What do I mean by that? Let's say this, there are experiences that you and I have in our lives that we cannot describe in just simple words. We actually have to use symbols. We actually have to use pictures, right? Let's test this out for just a moment describe to me if your parents describe to me your love for your kids oh and by the way you can't use symbols try it yeah it's a lot harder than you think it is right And that's what's happening here in the book of Revelation with John. I mean, he sees these things and and he doesn't fully know all of it. And he's doing the best he can to describe to us what he is seeing. In fact, um, there's a level of limitation with John's approach to us, which is actually quite uh, healthy. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could serve a God that I could have fully figured out. And so John is struggling with that. And we actually, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. He says this, he says, So God can point to us and all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us. What is he saying? What is he talking about? These future ages. What he's saying is simply this, is that we are going to be learning heaven for all of heaven. We are going to be learning what heaven is like for all of eternity. You know, many of us right now, we talk in our our church and we talk in churches all the time about this vision that we have as a church, heaven on earth. Well, right now we are learning what heaven is like in the here and now. Jesus said that. Jesus, when he came, he declared, he prayed, he said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are learning and we're growing in what heaven looks like on earth right now. But if it's not just this side of earth, it's the other side of heaven as well. When we get to heaven someday, Did you know that we're constantly going to be in a position of learning and growing and exploring? Heaven is a reality uh, where our minds and imaginations are going to continue to expand forever. I think that's a misconception that we have about heaven a lot. Someday when we get to heaven, we're going to just know everything. And that's not actually true. Because if you and I know everything, then that means we're omniscient all of a sudden and we're not omniscient. Only one person, one being in all of the universe and all of eternities, is om- omniscient, and that is God himself. You see, there's a couple things true about every single human being. Uh, number one, we're all fallen. Every one of us, we're fallen. Number two, though, we're finite. Fallen is wrong, and Pastor Brent talked about that last week. Remember? He said, there are some things that aren't going to be in heaven. And he gave us this big, long list that there's not going to be tears or pain or sin or sadness or death or racism or coronavirus or anything like that. That There's going to come a day when our fallenness is no more. But there's always we're always going to be creatures who are finite. That means even someday when we get to heaven, when we get into John's position and we see what John is actually seeing, we're going to be learning and growing and exploring. Heaven is a place that you and I are going to continue to thrive and flourish. Isn't that incredible? Our gifts are still going to be used in heaven. That's incredible to think about. There are going to be places to go, people to see. Heaven is a place of opportunity. And we've got to get this in our head, especially as we talk about Revelation chapters 4 And five, this is less about foreknowledge and more about focus and alignment. This is less about getting full details of the future, uh, but maybe this is really about getting full direction for the here and now, for today, right now in our situation, right now in our world, today in our homes, in our lives. And I think it's safe to say, and I think you all would agree with me, that right now we need more focus than we ever have had needed in our lives. We need more direction now more than ever, am I correct? And that's what I wanna talk about today for just a few minutes. Where is your focus? Where are you looking? You see, the truth is is that John himself needed focus and direction. Listen, if you wanna talk to someone who knows how to isolate well and quarantine well, John the Apostle's your guy. Did you know that he wrote this letter and he saw this vision when he was in isolation and in quarantine himself? And it just seems, and I don't know if this is true or not, or if you're sensing this or not, but I'm sensing in my own spirit that God is using these times of isolation and quarantine to bring about clarity and focus for us as His people. Like my, my focus is being narrowed down. It's being kind of just, you know, coming together in a place where I'm seeing the things that really, truly matter for life. You know, something that's pretty powerful when your peripheral vision gets blurry um, it's actually a time where your vision can be healed and clarity can be fixed. Do you ever think about that? Uh, hear me on this. Limits often bring clarity. Um, if you go to the optometrist, you know what I'm talking about. I have, uh, I have corrective lenses and so I have to go to the eye doctor every single year and some of you do too. And the, the appointment is the same every year. I go into the doctor's office, I sit in that big contraption of a chair and then at some point in the appointment, they put that like massive like goggle like lens thing on your face. You know what I'm talking about? And they shut off the lights and they project on the screen a whole bunch of letters. And what do they do? They black out all the letters except one. And then they sit there for like 25 minutes, don't they? And they're like, which is clearer? One or two? One or two? Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing half the time. I can never tell. But this is exactly what God is doing in this vision. This vision is narrowing our focus. It's bringing clarity to our lives. This is what John is experiencing. He needs his focus narrowed to one thing. One thing. Yeah, we're in heaven, and Pastor Brent introduced us to heaven last week. But today, we are going to focus in on one symbol— one image and that image today is the throne that's what John saw John says it in, in revelation chapter 4 verse 2 he says i saw a throne and I saw the one sitting on the throne man isn't there isn't this just a uh, isn't there just a real need for a throne of God perspective in our day like think about it in the midst of your isolation right now or in the midst of all that's going on around you we need to be looking to the throne because l- listen, everything you need, everything that is significant, everything that really matters comes from and is dictated from the throne of God. And so what, what is, what is Jesus saying to John? He says, I want you to focus in, I want you to see it, look to the throne, but not only just look to the throne, maybe we ought to start looking through the throne. That it becomes a lens of how we see our world and how we see our lives. Now, maybe some of you are asking the question, okay, what are we looking for when we look at the throne? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I want to give you three things that I want us to be focusing in on when we look at this text and we look and see what's going on here. There are three things that I think will help you in this season to help focus your life and your attention And the throne is going to help us out in that. So here's the first thing. Number one, the first focus point is this. We need to look where it's positioned. We need to look where this throne is positioned. Let's pick back up again in the text, verses 2 and 3. Let me read them again to you. It says this, I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like Jasper and Carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circle circled his throne like a rainbow. Let's stop there for a moment. This is a crazy picture. Just think about this for a moment. This is like a kaleidoscope of God's glory. And John is getting this in his face, full force. And it's beautiful, and it's precious, and it's weighty. These gemstones are there. Uh, this, this idea of jasper. Jasper is kind of, it's a, it's a diamond. And it actually represents God's mercy. Carnelian is it's it's red and so it represents God's justice and it's brilliant and it's shining. And it also says it's glowing like an emerald, that there's this rainbow. Pastor Brent referenced that in our in our communion time earlier in our service. But it's interesting to me, this idea of a rainbow in heaven. Can any of you think right now another part of the Bible where there was a rainbow? Hey kids, if you're in a room, you can help your parents right now. I know you know where this is, right? It's in the story of Noah right? At the end of the flood, God sends a rainbow. It's a sign of His grace. It's a sign of His promise. But think about this for just a moment. That a rainbow, some scholars actually believe this to be true, that when we see a rainbow, it's a reminder to us that God is placing heaven on earth. That He took from His throne room and now He has put it on earth. It's a picture of just heaven on earth and it's a rainbow. How cool is that? And so John is seeing this, and it's this brilliance. It's one who is perfect and flawless in his mercy and his justice, one who has covenanted with his people. It's brilliant and it's blinding. It's like, wow, like the lights are just in my face. In fact, Paul talks about this in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. He says, He alone can never die. He's speaking of God here. And he says, He alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Like the brilliance of the glory of God. And John is seeing this full force. But what I want you to see is where is the throne positioned? And there's other visions in the Bible of the throne room, and they all say the same thing. The throne of God is is not off the beaten trail. It's not off into some mountain somewhere high up that we have to go exploring it or anything like that. Actually, God's throne is at the center of everything. That's where it is. God's throne is at the center of all things. It's at the center of the universe. It's the center of all wisdom and understanding and knowledge. It's the center of all truth. It's the center of all grace and mercy and peace. It's at the center of all of our healing and our hope. It's the center of logic. Think about this right now. Everything revolves around the throne of God, even what you're learning kids in school. It all points back to the glory and the and the manifest presence of God on His throne. You won't actually fully understand science or mathematics or, or history if you do not if you do not understand it through the context and the perspective of the throne of God. Parents, as you go to work, you won't understand your purpose or your work. Stay-at-home moms, you don't understand family or or, or even uh, the life that we are living if we do not see the perspective. Of the throne of god think about that for just a moment what if we understood in the season that we're in right now corona church 2020 we are isolated in our homes what if we got a picture of where the throne actually is positioned right now it's in the center of everything it's incredible it's incredible here's the second thing i want to give you so look look to where it's look look to where it's positioned but the second thing is this look to how the throne provides Look to how the throne will provide for us. Let's keep reading this in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 4. Get this picture in your head. It says this, Now, 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. Now, who are these 24, you know, elders? Who are these 24? What are these 24, you know, uh, thrones doing here? Now, there's many theories about this. Some... Some theologians think that these are priests. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, there were actually 24 priestly lines uh, in the temple. So there was a rotation of priests and there were 24 different sects that would come to the temple and serve uh, just consistently and annually. So some people think these are priests. Other people think that they're angels. Um, I actually think that this is a representation of the whole company of the people of God. That 12 of these thrones are reserved for the 12 tribes of Israel. On the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, um, uh, the other twelve will represent the the twelve disciples, and in, in the New Testament, and the New Covenant. That this is a picture of the entirety of the people of God throughout all of history. And the Bible says that they are they are they are sitting on these thrones. They are clothed in white. They are pure. They are righteous, and they're wearing these crowns. Now, there's all sorts of crowns in the Bible, but these crowns in particular. Are crowns that were given to those who win these are victorious crowns these are crowns given to overcomers now what are these guys doing why are they there and you're gonna see these guys throughout all the entire book of Revelation a lot Uh, in fact their main job in heaven is to worship okay so what does this all mean like how does this all come together well understand what is happening here it is a picture of hope Listen, something about worship I know and what I'm coming to grips with is that worship isn't, doesn't just honor God, though it does. Our worship also brings hope. Like how many of you have been joining with us on Wednesday nights for our worship nights together? Just all across the region and maybe even all across the world. I, it's, it's just been inspiring for me to see all the different comments and how people are interacting together. In this virtual world in this virtual church that we're in right now but all of them carry the same theme hope right worship has a way of bringing hope up into our lives but not only that not just our hope church i believe worship is the hope that everyone else needs right now too you know i was thinking about it this past week what if the hope that the world really needs is not a good message from cnn right now or CTV or Global, what if pe- what people need, the hope that they need, is to see a, a victorious church worshiping their Lord? Like that is hopeful. I was just you know surfing Facebook and surfing media this week, and I noticed in in Brazil, uh, the you know neighbors and people. There are scores of neighborhoods and high rises of people. And, and there was this scene, and it was at night, and it's this is all happening in Brazil, but everyone is outside, and they're singing these lyrics, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Like, think about that, that. That the way that they are giving hope right now as the church is they're worshiping. They're worshiping God. And I thought, you know, that right there is the provision of heaven. That's the provision that God is giving us right now. That's the hope He's giving us right now. Listen, worship before the throne is not just for our hope, but maybe it's also a model of how we ought to bring hope to the people and to the world around us in this season, in the here and now. And so, yeah, the throne room, it provides for us, but it provides for us hope. The second thing it provides for us is true happiness. It does. Now, these elders, back to the text in this vision, these elders are, are around the throne. And it's uh, scholars say that the, the elders aren't just sitting in any sort of place in heaven. They're actually situated in a way that they're, they're, they're situated around the throne, but they're not looking outward. They're actually looking toward the throne. They're actually looking at Jesus. Now, why is that significant? Because the people of God has always defined happiness different than the rest of the world. Did you know that? Um, you see in the Bible, our true happiness comes from seeing God there's an old term for this. Uh, many of you might even know what this is. It's called the beatific vision. Um, if we translate that into English, it actually means the happy making vision. And it's this idea that the Christian perspective of true happiness is it comes from seeing God, that we are happiest when we see God face to face. Now, I'm a pretty happy person. I love life. I love to laugh. I love to be with people most of the time. You know, one of the things I'm also happy at about too, and I think you would agree with me, is that when you see the evidence of God all around you, like aren't you happy when you see a sunset? Like aren't you happy when you're there when your children are born? Probably one of the most happiest times I experience uh, as a pastor and in the church is when I get to baptize people. Like I am so elated. Like I'm so overwhelmed with joy. Why do we feel that? It's because we're getting a glimpse of what is going on in the throne room. We're getting a glimpse of God. And just think about that for just a moment, that our pursuit of God and our happiness not just starts in the throne room of God, it actually finishes in the throne room of God. That our true happiness is that we see God. John actually talks about this in one of his other letters in 1st John chapter 3 verse 2. He says this, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, And what we we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. He's giving them hope. He's giving them happiness. He's saying, actually, your true happiness is seeing God. So look to the throne, because the throne not only provides hope, it provides happiness. I've seen this many times, especially as we get into the summer. So many so many of you posting pictures at the beach and and in the summer. And by the way, those days are coming. We're going to be getting to the beach soon, I know. And I'll see captions all the time. This is my happy place. And yeah, it may be your happy place, but I want to suggest to you and encourage you today that our happy place as Christians is not the beach. It's not in our living room right now in isolation. It's not even uh, in the middle of disney world or any of those places our happiest place is before the throne room of god because that's what it provides it provides hope it provides happiness we got to move on here and so my final point is this here's the third thing you need to know the third thing you need to focus on is this look to what the throne is promising look to what it promises now i'm just going to run down through these really quick number one it's it's promising recovery it's promising recovery. If we keep reading in verse five, the very first part of verse five, it says this. From the throne, so from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. That's pretty crazy. Any of you ever been in a thunder or lightning storm? Yeah, I mean, how do they how do they happen? Well, there's it's it's a lot of positive energy and a lot of negative energy coming together. It's this charged atmosphere, and it's spectacular, but it's also very dangerous. You know, that's, I think that's why so many people are scared of thunderstorms. You ever watch your kids, they just run and hide under the bed? But there's some of us who are crazy. We actually love them. We go out on our back deck and we just sit there and we watch them because they're, they're, they're beautiful and they're dangerous at the same time. And lightning and thunder in the Bible is just a picture of God's judgment. It's a, a picture of God's wrath. Let me say it this way. God is positively going after the very negative things that have affected our lives and our world. That's what he's doing. The 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 energy of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the victory of God, the positive aspects of who God is is coming in and clashing with the negativity and the the sin and the darkness of our world and it creates this sort of train uh, or, or this chain reaction. Listen, It is a sign to us, and we ought to be excited about this. Some of us, we have this kind of far-fetched view of the wrath of God or the judgment of God. But listen, when we see thunder and lightning, it actually means recovery is on the way. God is actively involved in putting back the world to rights. That's what that means. This is what this means. And so it's a promise of God. It's coming from the throne. It's a promise of God. Hey, recovery is on the way. Here's the second thing. I want to talk to you about. Let's keep reading in verse 5. The second part says this, and in front of the throne, there were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. So the throne doesn't just promise recovery. It, it also promises wisdom. It promises wisdom. Now, what are these seven flames? And what is this seven, you know, seven, sevenfold spirit of God? Well, this is the completeness of God's spirit, of God himself, God, it's a picture of God's full knowledge and understanding. Um, I was thinking about it this past week, like we, right now, a lot of us are going for information and going for knowledge to Google, right? And Google is just a bunch of algorithms and we can build the biggest computer system in the world, but no one can mine data and knowledge and direction better than God himself. You know, we run algorithms because we just don't know. But the Bible reinforces us and what Revelation is saying to us is that the Spirit knows because His knowledge is perfect and it's exhaustive and it's absolute. Listen, the Spirit does not need to learn by taking courses or adding layers of knowledge like we do. He doesn't learn things after the fact. His knowledge is eternal and unchanging and it's absolutely perfect. That ought to bring us a lot of hope that God knows how to get us through this season. God knows. God already has the answer, that there is wisdom from above. In fact, the, the book of James talks about this. In James chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. It says, But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving. If you want peace-loving wisdom, go to the throne. Gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. Isn't that good news? And it is always sincere. You know, many of us right now, we're turning to the TV for knowledge and information. And yeah, it's good to be informed. It is. But what if we turned our gaze and we began to look at the throne where all the knowledge of God has been made available and accessible to us? This is what John's seeing. John sees it. He says, I see this before the throne and it's available to you and I. God promises wisdom from heaven. Here's the third thing, the final thing, and then I'm going to be done here in just a moment. But the third thing is this. So he's promising wisdom. He's promising recovery, the thunder and lightning. He's promising wisdom as the sevenfold spirit of God, but he also promises victory. And I love this picture. Look at verse six with me. It says this, Now in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. I'll stop there for a moment. What is this sea all about? This idea of a sea. And and John sees this and he, he sees that it's clean and it's clear and it's calm. Now, it's important to understand and and know that in John's day, the sea symbolized something very different than it does for us today. You see in the Bible, water or ocean or lakes or whatever often symbolize chaos and the abyss. It's not a place uh, to go to the beach and have fun and surfing. In fact, even today, most Orthodox Jews refuse to swim or even go near the ocean because they're terrified. They're petrified of the ocean. Why? Because in their mind, this is the abyss. This is the place where evil resides. In fact, we look in in, and throughout the Bible, we see this everywhere in the book of Daniel. Daniel has a similar vision of the end times and and of of the world. And we're going to get to some of this in just a little bit. But his vision is a picture of these beasts that come out of the, out of where? The ocean, out of the sea, like these, these evil monsters basically coming out of the sea to wreak havoc on the earth. Um, and they come out of the sea. We see this in the New Testament. In fact, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark, and many of you would know this, where Jesus uh, is crossing with his disciples on a boat, and it says that Jesus is actually sleeping at the the head of the boat, and a storm comes up, and the waves get rocky, and all of a sudden, the disciples start freaking out, and there's Jesus. He's just kind of sleeping. Now, In our minds, we were like, wow, it's a thunderstorm, and it's scary, and all that, but actually the disciples are probably terrified because they're thinking in their mind, wow, the abyss is now opening up, and evil is coming in full force. No wonder they're in a panic. No wonder they are. And no wonder they're perplexed that Jesus is sleeping. I mean, how can you be sleeping, Jesus, when full-on evil and the abyss are opening up and about to suck us in? You know. Let's be vulnerable for just a moment. Some of us might be asking that of God right now. Like, God, why are you sleeping on us right now? But I love what Jesus does, and I hope this encourages you today. It says that he wakes up and he speaks to the, not just the wind, but to the waves. He speaks not just to the wind, but also to the sea. And the Bible says that when he does so, it becomes flat calm. So what's the promise here? The promise isn't that Jesus is just going to be in our storm and calm the wind and all the stuff that is blowing in our face right now. Like, am I going to have a job at the end of this? What's what's happening to my, my, my retirement or what's happening to my bank account? That, yeah, Jesus is in our storm, but he's not just calming the wind. The promise is that Jesus is also going to be calming the waves. He's going to calm the abyss. He, he's going to put an end to Satan and the chaos and, and, the, and the principalities. He's shutting up all the lies and the deception. It's, it's the voice of shame. It's the voice of guilt. It's the voice that you aren't good enough. It's the voice of scarcity, even that a lot of us are, are feeling today in our panic. It's the voice that says, you aren't going to recover from this. All of it. In heaven, there, the, the, the abyss or the sea is calm. And the seas have been calmed. And not only that, it's clear. It's clear. It's crystal. It's no longer polluted. It's no longer contaminated anymore. And listen, and it doesn't really matter what body of water it is. I was thinking about it this week. Some of us, maybe right now, the sea that is in chaos is the sea of our minds. Or maybe it's the sea of our future. Or maybe we're looking at the economy and say, man, the seas are just so rough right now. It's the sea of my bank account. But hear me on this. In heaven, every sea is calm. Every sea is calm. You see, the promise when you look to the throne is this that we're not just promised a calm before the storm, we're actually being promised a calm during the storm. All storms, all seas are calm in heaven. Just imagine for a moment how John would have just welled up in hope and seen this vision. John is one who is in isolation doesn't know what his future holds either. and, And not only that, did you know that John isn't just stuck in his house? He's stuck in a house on an island, surrounded by water, surrounded by the sea, surrounded by the ocean. And yet what he sees in heaven is that it's calm and it's clear. For just a moment today, maybe you and I need to stop looking at the island that we're on. And we need to start looking to heaven. And we need to focus our vision and our lens and our eyes on the throne. So many, many of you right now, you're in your living room, you're in, you're in your bedroom, you're in your family room, wherever you are. And My guess is that the center of your attention in these last few weeks has, has been the activity on your television screen. It's been the center of your life. But what if we begin to see ourselves like John? Not on our island, not on our living room, but for a moment, we get raptured up into God's throne room. And what if, what if, you know, our focus isn't on what CNN is telling you or what NBC is telling you or MSNBC or CNBC or all any NBC or CTV, but the activity that you and I need to be focused on is on the one whose appearance is like Jasper in Carnelian. And some of you right now, you're focused on, on if you're going to have a job or you're focused on your money, or you're focusing right now on how am I going to maintain the life I've lived that's really been a happy life. And maybe this is a season where a lot of that's just kind of being shut down so that you and I can focus in on what God what what God is really providing from his throne which is true happiness. Maybe in this season we are going to see happiness in a way we've never seen it before and everything that our hearts have longed for and everything we've been trying to buy for years and years and years and years. Maybe this is an opportunity to refocus our life and our lens and even the, the way we live and and what we call happiness to begin with some of you are wondering what about the future but remember throne also it, it it's promising us a lot it's promising recovery it promises wisdom for the age and for the day that we live in and it's also promising victory to us it promises victory I want to ask as we close today, I want to pray for us in just a minute, but I want to ask as we close today, what would happen if we began to look to the throne? What would happen in the season to our vision? How do our lives and our vision need to be refocused right now? You know, I hope this has encouraged you, and I want to pray for us in just a moment, but I want to encourage us to look at the throne right now. I want us to encourage us to look at and to see where it's positioned, to see how it provides, to see what it is going to promise you and I. Because we have a hope and our hope is in heaven. Our happiness is in heaven. The answers for our life, all of it is in heaven. Everything circles around the throne of God. Open your eyes. See it. Focus in on it. Can I pray for us today? Let's pray, church. Father, I just want to lift up our church today and I pray for our eyes. I pray for a refocusing of our eyes. Lord, maybe the reason why there's just a blackout on all the peripheral and all the things around us seem like they're in chaos is because it's, it's, it's creating a tunnel vision and narrowing our focus into one who is unchanging, one who never moves, an unshakable throne, an unshakable God. And I just pray even in this season, Lord, for everyone who is Uh, maybe really struggling with what they're seeing about their life, maybe seeing about their work or their vision or whatever it is, God. I just pray for recalibrating and refocusing in this time. Lord, I pray that for those of us in our living rooms today, those of us who are in our bedrooms or in our cars, Lord, that we wouldn't be giving our attention to that which is in front of us, but giving our attention to that which is above us. To, to a throne that is elevated, where you are seated, uh, you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, your throne is above all other thrones, Lord. And not only is it just, it's, it's central, it's centered to everything, it's centered to the universe, God. And so we just we just speak life, uh, we speak uh, vision, new vision over the church today. Uh, Lord, we, we love you and we thank you for this vision. We thank you that John wrote this down as best as he could, so that we could get a glimpse of what it is that you want to that you want to give us a, a new perspective a new reality a new lens in which we look life and so Lord we love you and we thank you we praise you and all of God's people said amen